0: This episode of Motley Fool Money is brought to you by Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you know that payroll and payroll taxes can be a headache. Sure Payroll has simplified payroll services with just three easy steps online. To learn more, visit surepayroll.com/fool and get a free quote.
1: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The
0: best thing. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool One, Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey
2: Hello, nice,
0: we've got the latest on industrials, restaurants, and more. We've got a preview of HBO's new documentary on Warren Buffett, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with big tech. Microsoft's second quarter results sent the stock to a new all-time high. and Ron Gross, we've been saying this the past few quarters, the cloud, getting it done. It's
3: all about the cloud. Isn't that a song? Yes, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Azure up 93%. Really impressive. A lot of other good news, too, though. The office productivity um, segment up 10%. Sales of Surface tablets, who would have thought? up 11%. So, strength not just in the cloud, but that certainly is the headline, that certainly is what's driving the stock, and Sachin Nadella really deserves the credit for
0: transforming this company. That actually is a surprise, that Surface tablets are up 11%, <laughs> Agree. When, you, when you consider that <laughs> their big partnership was with the NFL, and you had coaches coming out and complaining about the device.
3: Yeah, I, I was surpri- surprised as, as anyone. But um, if, if you Keep an eye out. They have been getting good reviews, and you're seeing more and more people talking about the Surface. So maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised. Um, everything at Microsoft not peaches and cream. Obviously, you still have weakness in in the PC segment, although better than expected. PC overall um, shipments were better than expected, which helped Microsoft. Cell phones, hey, you know, 76 percent plunge
2: there. I don't think we're surprised about that. But overall, a nice report. I think the Surface tablet. It it the benefit there is that I think it's a device you can use more for production, and I mean most offices, most uh, businesses work on some Microsoft software in some capacity, mm-hmm. and and I think the uh, there's just sort of a simplicity there in in making the transition from workplace to tablet like that. Whereas with something like the iPad, uh, it, it's not quite as work friendly. So I think Amazon, is, or I mean I think uh, Microsoft is doing a very good job of sort of leveraging that. Professional work force there in, in exposing the, uh, the, the surface of strengths.
0: Ron, you mentioned Satya Nadella, uh, his anniversary, his three year anniversary as CEO is next week. Uh, since he took the corner office at Microsoft, that stock has basically outperformed the market 3X.
3: It's very impressive. And, and what he said in this conference call, I think, is indicative of how he has performed. He said, no status quo in any part of Microsoft. Um, and I think we can see you know, see the reorg really t- took hold. And as you said, the stock is reflecting it. Not cheap anymore, 30 times earnings. Um, not the most expensive stock in the world, but at a 5 or 6% earnings growth rate, you've got to be careful.
4: Sure, Ron. Even though it's at 21 times forward estimated earnings, yeah. it's still uh, market type of price. And the stock yields 2.3%. Still, if I were a long-term owner of Microsoft, you have more reasons to keep holding it now than
0: you did many years recent. Alphabet's fourth quarter revenue came in just north of $26 billion, and Jason Moser, that just wasn't enough to impress Wall Street. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I love the stock market. You tell any Joe Schmo out there that Google just raked in about $26 billion for the quarter, and they're astonished, uh, and and the stock market holds it against them. Um, This is a Big business. Okay, the hurdles get more and more difficult to clear because they continue to really, I think, perform wonderfully. And as you mentioned, twenty-six billion dollars. This is a search company, but when you when you go through the call and you you see. Where they're placing their bets, their three big bets are YouTube, cloud, and hardware. And I think the big question coming into this quarter, for me at least, was um, in, in in the Pixel, right? I mean, we wanted to see if they were actually going to be able to pick up um, any market share, take advantage of this opportunity uh, with with Samsung's misfortunes. There's not a lot of clarity there, other than management kind of just saying, "Hey, we like where we're going, and we think we've got a great product out there, and we're figuring out ways to integrate it with our technology." And it's interesting. All of the talk we've we've uh, heard over the past couple of years in regard to mobile, 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 with Alphabet, with Google, it's becoming more about moving away from mobile and becoming AI first, right? Artificial intelligence first, and figuring out ways to take computing over to that next dimension, so to speak. And that I think is what the Google Home device is a little bit about. I think that Amazon um, has done a lot of, of work there on the Alexa front, the Echo front, and um, so I think a lot of those. That's the type of thinking that's really guiding this company right now. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too, because a risk here to keep in mind is that Amazon is launching a paid search product. And I think that's based on the fact that a lot of search for brands and products already are already initiated via Amazon's website and apps. Uh, So, Google is figuring out ways to to diversify their revenue stream, and I think that's a good thing.
4: That's true. And and ad revenue made up 89% of revenue last year, and this quarter it was 85%. So, it's still, obviously, the vast majority, but they are moving away from that, as Jason said. I wouldn't be surprised if, five years from now, ad revenue is more along the lines of 50% of revenue. Perhaps. You go
2: a few years before this even, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 95, yep, right? Yep.
3: But when, we, when they, the big push to mobile came, we saw um, they weren't were able to, char- weren't able to charge the a, a same price as before. Facebook, we saw it as well. Now we're seeing that come back again with YouTube, where you can't charge as much either on YouTube as well, and, and that's hitting the numbers um, and the revenue, obviously, as you said earlier, a behemoth amount of revenue, but still, it, it is taking a toll.
0: And to be clear, so far with the Google Pixel phone, uh, those aren't exploding, right? They haven't been banned by the FAA? (laughs) So far, so good. Shares of Starbucks falling on Friday after a first-quarter report that featured the lowest same-store sales growth since 2009. It's still growth, Jeff, but uh, that's that's a, that's a pretty long way to go for that type of stat.
4: Yeah, U.S. same-store sales only grew 3%, which is still decent in a weak retail environment. But the company really blamed the fact that they have too much demand. Their new Mobile <laughs> Order and Pay, or MOP for short, not the best acronym. <laughs> that, but, that really isn't. Uh, 1,200 stores in the U.S. had 20% of more or more of their orders coming through Mobile Order and Pay. So you're getting all these orders at once in the morning and then the baristas are having a hard time filling them all. So instead of having a line at the register you're having a mob at the pickup counter waiting for their drink. So that would slow down orders for everybody and they say people left, left the line wouldn't keep waiting for their drink. So anyway, they think that had the most effect on the on the week same store sales.
0: I think you know I get that they're trying to put a happy spin on this that hey there's just too much demand but at the end of the day lower throughput is lower throughput is bad
4: and so they're working they they already took steps to to alleviate this they looked at the stores where it's working best and they put those into practice and for newer stores they're going to redesign the stores to account for the growing
2: a practice of ordering through your phone. They should probably drop a spy or two over at the Panera here across the street right, exactly. because that is a setup where they've really kind of figured that out, There's right? The same problem. Too
3: too much demand. They couldn't handle it. They they handled it through technology and better training. And I think Starbucks will do the same.
4: Yeah, they've done it in the past. They'll they'll do it again, I believe. Overall, though, Chris, everything's going really well. China revenue up eighteen percent. They're opening a new store in China every fifteen
0: hours and plan to for years ahead. Wow. Caterpillar's fourth quarter results were better than expected, but the industrial giant cut guidance for 2017. Help me make sense of this, Ron. This is this is a stock that over the past year is up somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 percent. Exactly. And I, I I don't expect that from my blue chips.
3: I'm glad you I'm glad you phrased it that way. So it's it's an interesting um, dichotomy. The stock performance doesn't jive with the results or even the outlook. Um, This quarter's revenue was down almost 13%. Uh, They talked about continuing slump in mining and construction. Um, There's two things going on. One, things were so bad that any type of recovery, um, you can end up seeing a bounce in the stock. But two, people are really hanging their hats, I think, to a large extent on Trump's policies, whether it's infrastructure spending or tax, and likely it's both in the case of Caterpillar. Um, If there is a meaningful infrastructure plan, and if he does lower corporate taxes, Caterpillar will be a huge beneficiary of it, and you're seeing the stock price reflect that. Be careful, though, because if you don't see one or both of those things, investors could end up getting hurt.
0: Well, and we knew sort of uh, coming into this year that a lot of that massive write down that they had in China was I mean, a lot of the work that the management team at Caterpillar has been doing over the past couple of years is essentially trying to get that off the books, and it feels like now they're in a position where they can start the growth again.
3: Yeah, $600 million impairment charge and lots of restructuring charges, and and the the, the employee count is down. Um, They're leaner, they're in a position to really benefit once the mining and the construction industries turn, but we've been saying that year after year after year, it hasn't happened yet. Eventually, it will happen. Um, the strong dollar, especially since Trump was elected, is another drag on their earnings, another reason they had a lower guidance for this year.
0: Do we need another word besides impairment? Impair- <laughs> An impairment charge sounds like 50 bucks on a monthly <laughs> bill that you get in the mail. Six hundred million, doesn't, If it's <laughs> that many zeros, I don't think
2: it's impairment anymore. Maybe it changed my mind, right? <laughs> I mean, we just yeah, we've changed our
0: mind. <laughs> Coming up, the food innovation you didn't know you wanted is here. Details next. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, and Ron Gross. Not everyone had a happy holiday. Mattel's fourth quarter profits came in much lower than Wall Street was expecting, and shares of the toy maker down 17% on Thursday. Jason, New CEO Margaret Georgiadis starts her job in two weeks and she has really got her work
2: cut out for her. And <laughs> Hasbro's probably looking at saying, Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks it, for nothing. It was a little bit of a drive um, on their stock, too. Yeah, yeah. Mattel's earnings certainly uh, bled into Hasbro for really no reason at all. Um, I, I mean, I don't want this to all be on Mattel. I mean, this wasn't just a Mattel specific thing, as we've seen numerous challenges uh, in retail from this holiday quarter. But with that said, Mattel is clearly a company in crisis. And I think. Um, new leadership stepping in is sorely needed. So, I'm cautiously optimistic there, at least. But I think, we've said this before with Mattel, the success there is really about identifying the quality IP that's out there in the world and, and hitching your wagon to that star, uh, and so a perfect example of not doing that, Chris, was when they <laughs> lost the Disney Princesses uh, deal, and and you could even see in the release where they excluded the Disney Princesses deal to normalize their earnings the revenue for the for the year and the quarter. It, it just it wasn't good by any measure, and so I think with with Mattel, uh, the the picture going forward looks challenged. They're kind of trying to right-size the business a little bit. They're going to be stuck with a glut of inventory here. They're going to see some pressure on margins early in 2017. Uh, Guidance for 2017 is still in limbo, and I think that's what has the market really scared today, and rightly so. Uh, Clearly, Mattel is still trying to figure out how to make that leap into the digital age, whereas Hasbro, I think, has done a much better job with it. Uh, We will sort of wait to see how their results come out.
0: Qualcomm's first quarter results got overshadowed by the lawsuit Apple filed late last week accusing the chipmaker of extortion. I'm not a lawyer, Jeff, but uh, (laughs) there have to be at least a few people who think that Qualcomm's in trouble because their stock got a 15% haircut. It's a pretty strong hit.
4: and. Personally, I would not want to buy Qualcomm right now, even on that hit. I don't want Apple as my enemy. And the complaint, which runs 104 pages in length, is, uh, it's like seeing the sausage made. You you don't want to see that, <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> For the past many years, the Qualcomm-Apple agreement uh, maintained that Apple had to be quiet. They couldn't speak out against Qualcomm or its practices or whatnot. And Apple had an exclusive agreement to only buy Qualcomm products. That agreement's over, and now Apple is coming out, punching, saying, over all these years, you, you, you did this, you did that, you did this. Basically, accusing them of unfair trade practices, unfair pricing and royalty schemes, and yes, extortion. They're, they're, Apple is claiming that Qualcomm tried to extort Apple into changing Apple's responses when it was talking to the Korean Fair Trade Commission in regards to a case there against Qualcomm. Only if Apple would change what it was going to say would Qualcomm pay it some royalties. Apple refused and forfeited those royalties. Now it's suing for that in part. So yeah, it's an ugly lawsuit. I wouldn't want again to be against the table against or on the other side of the table against Apple. No thanks.
0: Yeah, this is uh, definitely a lot spicier than what we normally see when one tech company goes at another. Usually it's some sort of copyright infringement or something like that. You see the word extortion leap off the page. That gets your attention.
4: Well, and Apple is now buying some modems from Intel, who is a few generations behind Qualcomm in quality, but is there? It's good enough, and the price is much lower. So expect Apple to keep trying to get supply from elsewhere, because
0: uh, you you don't have an enemy like this, and want to keep giving it money. McDonald's fourth quarter profits and revenue both came in higher than expected. Global same-store sales came in over 2.5%, and yet the stock was flat, Rob, What more do they have to do over there (laughs) at the Golden Arches? This is a good quarter!
3: I think it was a good quarter. U.S. remains a bit weak, and the same-store sales falling 1.3% is a reflection of that. but it That's doesn't just in the U.S. Just in the U.S. But it doesn't tell the full story, because you've got to give them a little break, because they anniversaried all-day breakfast, which was real strong for them last year. So, you see that reflected in the same-store sales in the U.S. But, having said that, the U.S. is weak, and they, they need to do certain take certain steps to, to improve it. One of those things is going to be what they're calling Experience of the Future, which is a horrible name. It sounds like the World's <laughs> Fair or something like that. Um, but it's really taking um, a play out of Panera's playbook and um, putting kiosks into the stores, improving, improving service, using technology. Um, you can customize your meals easier. So, it'll be really interesting to see when that's introduced into the U.S. Um, if that makes a nice a nice interesting improvement. Interesting, Ron.
4: Starbucks is doing that, too, with personalized orders through your app. Everything's becoming, it was mobile, now it's geolocation, and now it's becoming
2: personalized. McDonald's trying to capture some lightning in a bottle, right? And by lightning, I mean special sauce. 10,000 bottles they gave
3: away 10,000 bottles of their signature Big Mac special sauce they've never done that before I think that it was actually done already it's already done so if you didn't get yours tough <laughs> um our friends over at the Howard Sturge show probably got half of them because they they love their Big Mac special sauce but uh I'm not a condiment guy so it's, it's not something that interests me are, <laughs> Can are, we they, ch- our,
4: are they our friends Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Have,
0: absolutely. have we checked eBay? I have to believe that at least one or two people who picked up a bottle of are this sauce it. are are going on eBay. and Well, this it. was the yeah.
2: deliberation for the week. I mean, they were talking about: Do I open it, need it? Do I save it? I mean, I think clearly. I mean, Mac and I were on opposite ends of the spectrum here, where this argument came down to. But you keep that bottle. I mean, it's they're numbered. I mean, there's it's something. Hey, so what if it goes bad in ten years? There's somebody out there is going to want it. I'm right? thinking that's not going bad ever. <laughs> <laughs> but they're making an uh. extra bottle, too. This is very interesting. They're making actually 10,001 bottles. The the, the the last bottle they make, that extra bottle, they're going to auction off and all of the proceeds will go to uh, the Ronald McDonald House. So, I'll be very interested to see how much that bottle actually ends up fetching. And it
3: d- does come at the same time as two new Big Macs are introduced, the Grand Mac and the uh, the Mac Jr. So, for you enthusiasts of the Big Mac.
4: You nailed it though, Chris. eBay is marinating in this sauce. It's <laughs> everywhere. I see about from a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars,
0: and your cost basis is zero, and You it's get nothing, th- but and outside. it's Thousand
4: Island dressing basically.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say, this is not a bottle of wine or, or fine whiskey that's going to you know get better with age. This is,
2: but they put a number on the box.
0: <laughs> Shares of Hostess brands up this week, and why not? When you consider the news that Hostess is teaming up with Nestle to bring you Twinkie ice cream, yes, mm. guys, starting next month in convenience stores across America, you can find not just Twinkie-flavored, but other Hostess-inspired ice creams, including Snowballs and Hostess Cupcakes ice cream. I'm not going to lie, I'm interested in Hostess that Cupcakes ice cream. That sounds pretty good! Yeah. I mean, I, if I see that, I'm picking up a pint or two. I bet it does well. I, I think there'll be demand for it. I don't know if it'll last, and
3: I don't know how good it'll be, but I bet I bet it flies off the shelf in the beginning.
0: Let's go to our man behind the glass, Steve. Broido. Steve, three ice creams, Twinkie Snowballs, Hostess cupcake—you're picking up one of those three, aren't you? You're going to give one of those a shot.
5: I think it'd have to be cupcake. That Twinkie doesn't feel cold to me. That feels like a warm <laughs> snack. It doesn't feel like a cold snack.
2: So I don't and know. It seems I like, like to me. So. You get those snowballs, and I mean your ice cream, and it gets all chewy, and it's like, eh. Given my druthers, I think I'd rather have the cupcake.
0: The cupcake one really looks yeah. like a really nice chocolate with a marshmallow swirl. Yeah. I don't know. That—that—that's if I'm betting on one, I'm betting you the at marshmallow sounds... swirl.
2: <laughs> I wonder if it's a counterclockwise <laughs> swirl.
0: I think, yeah, I think if they say it's limited edition, but come on. I mean, it, with with any of these things, it's limited edition unless one of them's a big <laughs> seller, and then they go have, for it.
3: Has anyone looked at Hostess stock in, in a while? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they they had their their troubles, and they were private, and now they're back. Um, I don't I don't know from a stock perspective if, if this is anything to look this at. This may
0: be the buy signal. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you later in the show. Up next, award winning director Peter Kunhardt talks about the new HBO documentary "Becoming Warren Buffett." Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. All right, before we get to my conversation with Peter Kuhnhart, got to say a word about Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you already know payroll can be a headache. Small businesses pay hefty fines on a yearly basis due to payroll oversights. Now you can protect your business and remove the payroll tax complications with Sure Payroll. It's simple and can be used on any device with just three easy steps. You enter your employees' hours and salaries, you preview the taxes being deducted, and you approve the payroll, and that's it. You're done. Steve Broido knows that. Steve, you're a Sure Payroll customer, yes? I am, indeed. What do you use it for?
5: Uh, we have a child care provider, so we've got two kids, and we use Sure Payroll to pay for that.
0: See? You can be like Steve Broido. You don't have to have your own small business, but their customers do include a range of businesses, including dental offices, insurance agents, restaurants, barbershops, charitable foundations, tech startups, and again, Steve Broido. SurePayroll has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They make it easy and affordable to manage your small business payroll online, so you can focus on your business instead. They'll automatically file and pay your federal, state, and local taxes. So, go to SurePayroll.com and fill out a free quote form. And now, let's get to Peter Kuhnhardt. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Peter Kuhnhart is an Emmy Award-winning director. His latest documentary premieres on HBO on Monday, January 30th. It's entitled "Becoming Warren Buffett." Peter joins me now from New York. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks, Chris. I'm glad to be here.
0: I have to thank the nice people at HBO because uh, because of their efforts, I was able to watch an advanced screening of your documentary last night, and I was—I have to say—I was surprised at how personal this film is. It includes home movies of Warren Buffett and his children and his wife. And that leads to my first question, which is, how did you get this level of access to someone like Warren Buffett, who has to have been in huge demand over the last 25 years in terms of people wanting to tell his story?
1: Uh, He gave me an hour to come in and speak with him. But I then asked him for a follow up and he granted me that and i it, it, over two years, we ended up going to Omaha five times and so the trust and the relationship grew over that time, and about halfway through, I told him that we just didn't have the visuals to tell his full story and he said i'm going to op- i'm going to give you everything i've got and uh the all his 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 daughter, Susie, is the keeper of the family archives. So we took two cars over to her house, and she uh, pointed to the closets and the drawers, and we just emptied everything and uh, scanned everything they had, all the albums, all the pictures, all the headlines, and, and transferred all the home movies, which hadn't been seen seen before. And, and there was no, I mean, to Warren's credit, there was no filtering. There was no uh, saying, let me look at this first to make sure this is okay for you to see. He just said, whatever you want, you can use and uh, we spent a week scanning it all, and I think I think that's what brings kind of that visual difference to this film that uh, people have not seen before.
0: There are a couple of key influences in this film that are really brought to light, one on the personal side and one on the investing side, and let's start with his late wife Susie, because she is as much at the center of this film as Warren Buffett is, and I, I was thinking about the... You you hear often that well you can't really change who people are but after watching your film it's clear that she changed Warren Buffett and I'm curious if you could share a couple of thoughts on the ways in which she changed him
1: she, Yeah she they he was 21 when they when they married she was 19 and he, he was totally fixated on his work and uh just um, he, he was all brain and no social skills he had a very hard time uh get, getting along with 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 kind of the regular things in life she was all heart and i think she she said warren was my first patient and i wanted to help him become kind of a more well-rounded human being and she just molded him and helped him and taught him how how to respond to people and how to trust people uh by the end of the film after after we've heard the story of of susie buffett and warren uh he says that he never would have been able to to uh be as successful as he was without susie that she she was the reason berkshire hathaway has become what it's become so she he gives her as much credit as he gives himself, and I think that 's w- one of the reasons Warren is pleased with the film is i don 't think that 's really come out before i think I think people have loaded him with credit, and he he 's always known that Susie deserves a good part of it
0: The other person on the investing side is Charlie Munger, yeah, and I guess I had never really clued into the ways in which Charlie Munger has not only been a, an amazing business partner for Warren Buffett over the decades, but the way in which he appears to have changed Buffett's investing approach. When they meet, Buffett is really a guy, as an investor, who's going after the so-called cigar butt stocks, the companies that are on their last legs, but they've got one more tiny bit of value out of them. And Munger comes along and really seems to open his eyes to a larger world of investing.
1: Completely right, and and for, so for years Warren made a lot of money on these small companies that weren't very interesting or glamorous or uh, or or even profitable. But as you say, they had they had a few more tokes of smoke out of the, these little cigar butts. What Charlie did was open his eyes to good companies at at decent prices instead of. Medium companies at great prices, and he taught him that over the over time by investing in franchises and brands that were trusted and 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 part of the culture that Warren could do much better and Warren credits uh charlie with with opening those eyes and if you and if you look at the 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 the, the spike in Berkshire value it really it, it it's it's a it's a it's a it's an upward movement, and then suddenly, when, when they shift philosophies investing, it just spikes upward. So, Charlie was right, and Warren, Warren uh, is that, that, that that's now what, what he does and what he's famous for.
0: One of the things that Buffett is famous for in investing circles is his temperament. He has said before that when he mastered his temperament, that was a huge turning point for him as an investor. And yet, I was struck by the something that is illustrated wonderfully in your documentary about his acquisition of Berkshire Hathaway. And it appears, if I'm understanding correctly, it appears to be based on a very emotional moment in his life where he's a shareholder of the company. The company's management is trying to squeeze just a tiny, like an eighth of a share extra out of him. And he reacts pretty emotionally and decides you know what I'm just going to acquire more shares and get these guys out of here
1: exactly he he uh he was uncharacteristically buffett at that time he did what he what he uh preaches not to do which is to bring emotion into his business dealings and and uh charlie munger comments that it was it was just he, he couldn't understand what he was doing and it did, that that eighth of a, of a point didn't make any difference but Warren, during his interview, said, "You know, as I think back to that moment, I realize it was five days after my father died, and that must have had an impact on me. He was very, very close to his father he he, he He's still very close to this to this day he sits at his father's desk, he hangs his father's portrait behind his desk he he lives and breathes the principles and ethics and morals that his father taught him, so he's he's extremely close to his father. And I and I can imagine the impact he, it, his death had on him. So when I asked him if he could talk about the last conversation he had with his father, he just said, no, I can't. It, what that illustrates to me is that Warren Buffett is hugely emotional right beneath the surface. He's able to keep his emotions out of business, but uh, just beneath the surface, he's a, he, he's a very human, very emotional guy. And um uh, I think showed some of that in this in, in this film.
0: The documentaries you've made before this have largely focused on political figures in U.S. politics. What got you interested in making a documentary about Warren Buffett?
1: Well, I, I think Warren is has the the same largess that many presidents have, and and or, or social activists have that we've we've covered in the past. I I was just struck by. Uh, the human story, and I, i'm not a finance guy when I, I don't know much about finance, but I was intrigued how how could um, how could how could he grow up to become who he became so we really based this film on uh, exploring his childhood and 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 the changes he he forced himself to undergo to become who he became and you know like these other characters we've we've covered in the past you know he he has a an heroic story in a way it, it's a i find it very moving when somebody can change who they are and warren has changed who he is a few times and has really grown with the times he's a very different man now uh carol loomis from fortune actually said you know she was lucky enough to be with warren when he was becoming warren buffett that's where we got the title for, for from and And she said he's just a much bigger and better man than he was before.
0: Well, one of the ways that it seems like he has not changed, though, is his attraction to numbers, which right out of the gate, just as a kid, he was drawn to numbers. And as a businessman in his 20s and 30s and really finding his footing as an investor, he was a numbers geek at a time when it was a lot harder to be a numbers geek. You had to do a lot more work. There's a lot more reading, there's a lot more work just with a pencil and a pad of paper. Uh, it's much easier now when you can get an Excel spreadsheet and, and let the computer do the work. But But it appears as though that attraction to numbers and literally shutting the door to his office so he can just sit and read and focus, that appears to have not changed at all.
1: That's not changed a bit. You know, his son Howie said to me, um, "My father's like a computer. His mind's like a computer, but the hard drive never runs out." And Warren Warren reads constantly and and keeps adding data to his brain. And I asked him, "What?" I said, "I know you kind of think in terms of numbers. What does it look like to you in your brain? What 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 are you seeing? What are you visualizing that the rest of us aren't?" And he he didn't have an answer for that, but clearly he's seeing something. Very clear. And um, when I, I, shortly before we aired in, uh, the film at the premiere in New York last week, I sent it to Warren to look at beforehand, and he spotted that on one of the charts um, I had left three zeros off of the total value of Berkshire Hathaway. So we had this we had this typo. I and mean, there were a lot of zeros in it, and it looked pretty pretty uh, zeroed out to me. But Warren's you know, his eye went right to that, and that uh, was the o- only comment he made. So he's, he's skilled at looking at numbers.
0: What leads him to decide, I'm giving away my money, 99% of it, and I'm going to give it to the Gates Foundation? It's going to some other foundations as well, but largely it is going to Bill and Melinda Gates for them to spread out across the world. What leads to that decision?
1: I think it was... Um, for for many many years, it was uh, it was a rational planning process that he went through. He he formed a foundation in the 60s. He always intended to have his money go back to society. He fought with his wife Susie about when to do that. She wanted to give it away sooner. He wanted to keep hold of, hold of it longer so it could could compound and make an even bigger impact. And uh, when Susie died unexpectedly. All his plans were, were 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 extinguished, and he thought, "What am I going to ne- What am I going to do now?" And he came up with what he thinks is the perfect solution, which is to turn to his great close friend Bill Gates, who thinks a lot like he does, and is one of the best people alive to giving who knows how to give away money. So Warren Warren wanted to continue to make money, and turn to somebody who he could trust to give it away. And I think the catalyst was was the death of Susie because one year afterwards he he made the announcement.
0: It really does seem like their partnership even even though they remained married for many years they were living apart for decades but there was something connecting the two of them that enables him to continue to grow emotionally. It really seems like that is the catalyst that leads him to Bill Gates.
1: It completely, and and you know when Su- Susie got uh, mouth cancer and in San Francisco, and Warren, who doesn't, you know, he he, he for the most part he sticks to his routine, but he got on a plane and every week uh, spent the weekends with her as she recuperated. He 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 learned how to how to be there for her and how to just kind of sit and hold her hand and. And comfort her, so that 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 same Warren wouldn't have done that forty years ago. He that, that that's a new and very different Warren, and so she she was, she, she, I think it's a it's a sweet end to a to a love story, and I and I do feel, see this film as a love story more than a business film. Uh, it's it's just a sweet way to see how much he had changed and how much he had grown.
0: Last question, then I'll let you go. One of the things that his daughter, Susie, mentions uh, about her father, and she's she's the oldest of the three kids. Yes. One of the things that she mentions is him singing to her and singing, uh, in particular, the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The closing credits of your documentary include Warren Buffett singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Where did that recording come from? Because that couldn't have been stuck in a closet somewhere.
1: Well... Actually, it it was so. Susie, Susie told that story to us, and and when we got into the editing process, I uh, told her we were going to use the story. And by any chance, had had Warren ever recorded it? And she said, you know, he once sang it to me in a karaoke bar, and and we had and we did we did make an audio tape, but it was decades ago, and I'd have to look for it. And I said, that would be very important to us <laughs> if you could find that. So she dug through her stuff one weekend and uh, came upon it. And once we heard it, we knew it was the way to end the film.
0: Now we know what his karaoke song is. That's right. <laughs> the new documentary, Becoming Warren Buffett, premieres on HBO on Monday, January 30th at 10 p.m. It's fantastic. So watch it. Peter Coonhart, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it. Over the
0: rainbow,
2: way
5: up high,
0: the Coming up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool money. We're talking about
3: money, money. We're talking about
0: money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, and Ron Gross. You can check out past episodes of Motley Fool Money and all of our podcasts. Just go to podcast.fool.com. And while you're there, you can test drive Rule Breakers, which is David Gardner's growth stock service. The latest issue is out with two new stock recommendations from David Gardner and his team. You can check it out by going to podcast.fool.com and just scroll down to the bottom of the page for more details. Alright, let's get to the stocks on our radar. We'll bring in our man Steve up from the other side of the glass to hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. I've
3: got Verizon, VZ. Um, stock dipped on not a great earnings report recently. Um, stock's off 8% this year. But I actually think that's a good entry point for this stock, uh, with a 4.7% yield, trading only at 15 times earnings. Um, I, In my mind, clearly the leader, both from a technology perspective as well as a subscriber perspective. And even though there is a price war going on and they've had some drag in their subscriber additions, I think this is a good stock to own for the long term. Steve Broino, question about Verizon?
5: Sure. Do you think Verizon has the best coverage in the in the country uh, right now? You, you hear that all the time in terms of Verizon Wireless.
3: Yeah. If you watch the commercials, they'll, they'll all say that they're within 1% of each other at this point, but
2: I believe that the coverage of Verizon is superior, yes.
0: Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week?
2: Sure, uh, Amazon earnings are coming out next Thursday, February second. Ticker is AMZN. We've talked a lot about how tough of a holiday quarter it's been for a lot of retail. I can't help but wonder if uh, Amazon has been part of the reason why. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see how that shakes out for them. Echo has seemed to really be the the buzz lately, especially around the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, they continue just to. Build out functionality on that thing. They're planning to hire 100,000 employees in the coming 18 months, building a new fulfillment center in Colorado. I think the bear side of this wants to argue the cost. I think that's kind of just not the right way to look at it. I mean, Amazon is skating to where the puck is going. And in some cases, it seems like they're the only ones on the ice. Steve, question about Amazon
5: How big a role does Amazon Web Services play in your? For the
2: future. Well, I think Amazon Web Services. We've seen estimates that could be anywhere from 100 to a 200 billion dollar business when it's all said and done. But the, the attractive part right now is they continue to build it out. It brings in 30 percent or so operating margins, and so it'll continue to be a growing and very profitable side of the business. Jeff Fisher, what are you looking at this week? Whirlpool ticker, ticker, tickle, tickle the ticker. The ticker Whoa.
4: is WHR. It's the largest home appliance maker in the country, and the stock fell more than 10 percent this week after earnings. Uh, came in a bit light because of Britain. We're seeing actually actually an effect of Brexit hitting business over there, and uh, the, the weak pound as well. But what I like about Whirlpool as well is almost everything that it sells in the U.S., whether it's Maytag or KitchenAid or Gen Air, it makes most of it in the U.S. as well. So it's a manufacturer that's wherever it's selling is typically locally manufactured as well.
0: Steve, question about Whirlpool?
5: How do you select an appliance when you're at an appliance store? If you're buying a refrigerator, what are you looking for?
4: It's a great question, Steve. I, I go to reviews. I actually would pay up for consumer reports and get in depth reviews when I'm buying something expensive like that.
0: Whirlpool, Amazon, Verizon, three well known, very different businesses, Steve. You got one you want to add to your watch list?
5: Well, I've got Verizon and Amazon, so I may throw Whirlpool <laughs> in
0: there. All right, so I think you'll be happy with your choice, Steve. Maybe. Have you bought any big
5: appliances recently, Steve? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you get? What'd you get? A fridge. We bought a dishwasher.
0: Yeah. You sound really happy with those
3: parts. It was very expensive. Did you get the automatic water dispenser in the fridge?
5: Yeah, you bet. Nice. Do they
0: even make them without that? They do, yes. All right. Hmm. Ron Gross, Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.